Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Zechariah chapter number Zechariah chapter number four, and I want to start with verse verse number six here this evening. The Bible says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. He shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. Thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Tonight I'd like to minister this subject matter. Small things, large things. Small things, large things. God, I come to you this evening. I'm asking, Lord, for your anointing, God, on the continuation, Lord, of this service, the ministry, Father, of your word. God, we need your spirit here tonight. God, we need, Lord, heaven's touch upon our hearts and upon our minds. God, upon these people in this assembly. God, I pray, O oh Lord, today, God, seal something, Lord, within our lives. Seal something, O oh God, within our souls, Lord, today. God, we'll thank you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Small things, large things. About five centuries before the birth of of Jesus Christ, the children of Israel returned from exile in Babylon to find Jerusalem, their blessed city in ruins, and their beloved temple was destroyed. Zerubbabel was a primary leader among that first group of exiles that returned back home, and it was under his leadership that care was given to build the altar back on its old site and place, one of the first things that he had done. And the people then began to rebuild the temple that they had loved. And the foundation of that temple was very quickly laid, but in the overall scheme of reconstructing the temple, uh, the foundation that Zerubbabel had laid for the temple in the eyes of some was nothing but a small thing. 
people that had been separated for years, 70 years to state it accurately from their blessed city Jerusalem and their glorious temple stared now at a freshly, freshly laid temple, freshly laid, if you will, foundation and they looked at it with sorrow. They looked at it with a little bit of uh, heartache in their lives. Memories, no doubt were flooding their minds of the glorious temple that they had known. That glorious temple of the temple of Solomon that had all of its embellishments, all of the precious metals that were involved there that they had left whenever they went into captivity. And now they returned back home to nothing but ruins and now just a meager foundation that Zerubbabel had built. Solomon's temple was grand. It was magnificent. There was not another temple like it or to compare with its beauty or its ornamentation. It was, if you will, the epitome of what a temple should be and what a temple ought to be. And so with all these fantastic memories in their mind playing of that former temple, uh, they were appalled then by such an insignificant beginning and an insignificant start for a new temple that would take its place. There were, the Bible says in Ezra 3, I believe it is, such people were weeping while there were others that were shouting with joy that came to this place that had never known a temple in the whole entirety of their life except what Babylon's temples to false gods had illustrated to them. But there were some there that were weeping because they knew the former temple and its magnificence and its grandeur and what they had laid before them in a foundation seemed to them like a small thing, a little thing, a petty thing, a minuscule thing, a minute thing, if you will, in their eyes. There's no doubt in my mind this evening that the negative expressions that they were saying and the tears that were falling down their eyes, Zerubbabel probably thought, they're going to be glad to see this. They're going to be glad to see a start, a beginning, a construction for a new temple. But that was not the case at all with some of these ancient men. That was not the case at all with some of these elders. They had negative expressions and the negativity even flowed through their tears over this small, minuscule little start. And that had to weigh heavy upon the heart of Zerubbabel thinking what have I been doing the past couple of years amen putting my blood and my sweat and my tears and in erecting and forming a foundation now only for the elders and the ancients to look at what we have done and with tears in their eyes think that's nothing magnificent that's just a small petty thing I've made it my life's priority that since I came here to Jerusalem to build the foundation of the house of God and no doubt Zerubbabel within himself was probably already struggling to a certain degree with some inferiority issues, amen, in attempting to rebuild something that he had never even seen himself probably already dealing with a few uncertainties. He had, yes, ancestry linked back to Jerusalem, but he had no personal history of his own there. He had no experience there of his own, and yet he's trying to rebuild something he's never seen, he's never touched, he's never trampled the, the, the floor of the temple. And all that those that had known could say, well, it's just a small thing. Zerubbabel, this ain't much. This is not anything great or grand like we had known. But you're in the beginning, aren't you, Zerubbabel? 
Zerubbabel was not taken into captivity. He was born into captivity. His name alone means seed of Babylon or sown in Babylon. His name means the dispersion of confusion. This is the heritage that, that, that Zerubbabel has. He's going back to the Holy Land, the sacred land of Jerusalem, to build a temple he's never seen. He was born in Babylon. He was born with things that were everything but right with God in a circumstance and a surrounding that did not line up with God. His name means dispersion of confusion. He's entering back into this place trying to do a work for the Lord. A little unsure, a little confused, not really knowing all the, 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 the levers to pull and the buttons to push in order to have a house of God back at Jerusalem. But he's doing what he can do best. Never seen the temple, never walked in the temple. Jerusalem was formed to his touch. Yet in spite of all of this, because because he had an ancestry with the people that came from this land. Amen. It gave him a sense of ownership. It gave him a sense of responsibility that whenever I get back to that place I've never seen, I'm going to have to rebuild what once was. But it's in ruins when he returns there. He's unsure of himself. I was born in captivity. The only temples I know about are those that have been associated with false and heathenistic gods. My surroundings has been a surrounding of confusion. I know what my ancestors have told me to be true, yet there have been voices ever since the day of my birth that are contradiction to what my ancestors are telling me. I've lived in a surrounding of confusion. I've lived in a surrounding of deception. Amen. And so I'm returning home now to a place that I never lived, and I'm returning back home with all of this confusion and with all of this deception and I'm going back home to Jerusalem and I'm trying to make sense just of everything that I had before me and so I'm going to rebuild the altar they said there was an altar there on that spot over there and at that place and so my first means of priority here is I'm going to rebuild that altar and so I'm going to make my little meager effort here of rebuilding the altar and I'm going to shape the foundation we're going to have a house of God here again there's, there's going to be a place here again where people can worship there's going to be a place here I'm going off of what my mom and daddy told me I'm going off of what grandma and grandpa told me we're going to have a place here I know it looks in ruins and dilapidated and torn down but I'm going to try to get my hands involved in this and I'm going to try to rebuild an edifice unto God where worship and sacrifices and praise and glory can fill this city again Meager efforts laying a foundation and the elders and the ancient men are crying because they've seen the first temple. They say what we have here is Zerubbabel is a small beginning. By their actions and expressions what we have here is something very insignificant. This is a far cry from being what we had left behind years ago. And how soon some of those elders and how soon some of those ancient men must have forgotten the insignificant beginnings of that former temple that was erected on a spot that at one time was nothing but a threshing floor. Yet their forgetfulness, that didn't, leave, that didn't ease the feelings that Zerubbabel's dealing with right now. 
That doesn't ease the gravity of their tears and the gravity, if you will, of their disappointments toward the small efforts seemingly, amen, that he's making at this time. The poor, insecure Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's never done anything like this before in his life. You know how it is whenever you try something you've never done? You have a little bit of insecurity, a little unsure, a few uncertainties. But imagine this. Imagine doing something, creating something, building something, making a meal per se, a new recipe that you never tried, never tried to do before. And the first thing that ever happens after that's built, after that's created, after that meal's prepared is nothing but criticism. Criticism before it's even finished. And it's in the context of this story. Then the word of the Lord comes. An angel of the Lord comes. And as Zechariah the prophet. Referring to Zerubbabel. Referring to what he had done. Referring to the foundation that he had laid. Who hath despised the day of small things. The angel is asking who's held the laying of the foundation of the temple in contempt. Who has mocked the dedication of the foundation of the temple that marks not the end but the beginning of a temple that's been non-existent for decades. I dare to say here tonight, amen, that each of us in our own lives at times there are new ventures in our lives that we have attempted, amen, after we came to God or maybe in the process of coming to God or maybe there's still some new ventures in our life we've not stepped out on, amen, engaged and taken and owned for ourselves, amen, perhaps for some of you coming to church and giving God space in your life is a new beginning if you will, for others, it might be attempting to teach a home Bible study. You're just laying the foundation. You're just erecting a little piece here. This is not where it's going to be finished. This is where it's just getting started. For somebody else, maybe it's just a desire and a zeal to become a little bit more vocal or a little bit more demonstrative in your worship and your praise. But this is just where you're starting. This is not where you're finished. Some may be wetting their feet in different areas of ministry or perhaps you've paddled in your mind for years about doing that, but you've never tried. Your approach is uncertain. You're a little confused. You're a little insecure because it's new to you. But let me tell you today, let me go on and pull the shades back. Your attempts are not gonna be flawless, but neither will they be futile. I'm talking to the saint here that says I I always thought about teaching a home Bible study. I'm talking to a saint here that said, you know what? I considered being a little bit more demonstrative in my praise and worship. I considered giving my personal testimony. Let me tell you, it will not be without failing, but neither will it be futile. Neither will it be without any cause or without any benefit. I know it looks stark. I know it looks small, but this is just... The beginning. Zerubbabel's doing something he never did before. There's voices that's coming to his life upon this new venture that he has done. And there are negative voices. 
about this new venture that he is doing. Negative voices about this new venture. He never seen the first temple. These other have. And there's no giving though negativity to him because here is someone that never knew the one formerly, but at least he's attempting to do something. Because to them, the elders and the ancient men are like, this wasn't like, this foundation isn't like the first foundation. This isn't done quite like it was. Let me tell you, as time unfolds, there's a lot of things as far as methodologies that are going to change, and the message is going to stay the same. The Bible spoke to his disciples in New Testament scripture, and at one time he told them, take neither purse nor script, don't take any swords, don't do any of that. In another portion of scripture, he says, take the swords, take the script. Why? He said, we're delivering the same message, but our methodology has to be just a little bit different. Does that mean this is insignificant? Does that mean one time was more insignificant or smaller or minute or less demonstrative than the other? No, 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 no. I dare to say anything in its infancy is small, but honey, you gotta give that thing a chance to thrive. Give that thing a chance to live. Give that thing a chance to mature. Give that thing a chance to grow. So I ask you tonight, what small things have been despised in your life? What talents What gifts, what failed dreams, what false starts has the mocking or the words of despisement of others curtailed your efforts? Have you given up on yourself? Have you given up on your family? Have you given up on your church? Have you given up on some goal? Because right now at this place in the road, it's just deemed as insignificant and small. Have you given up on some worthy cause? Is there some maybe sitting under the sound of my voice tonight that's lived life for a certain degree to the past few years, a life full of regrets and fears that have almost immobilized you and held you back from continuing? Even some past failures perhaps in your back. Amen. Past failures back there and maybe even present weaknesses now keep you from trying again, keep you from just laying another course of stone or from another course of brick. For that matter, folks, here's Zerubbabel. Just because he wasn't born in or around the church. We can take a poll tonight. Some of you were born in and around the church. Others of you were not. But just because you may not have been born in and around the church, don't let that stymie your efforts of starting something. Don't let that stymie your efforts of starting something. If I might say it differently, don't allow the confusion of the past to puzzle the opportunities and the callings of the present. Let me get my fat neck out of this shirt here for a moment. It's easy to get discouraged by thinking, what difference does it make if I teach Sunday school? What difference does it make that I come out for a work day at the church? 
What difference does it make that I make a meal for a family that has just recently lost a loved one or that are presently going through hardship due to a medical problem or difficulty? What difference does it make for me? What different? I mean, in the large scheme of things, what difference does it really make if I share my personal testimony of how God saved me and pulled me out of a horrible pit with somebody else? There's enough people doing that. What difference does it really make for me to do that? What difference does it make if I attend the third Thursday power hour from 730 to 8.30 to pray into God or even come early for church and pray. What difference does that make? I'm here to tell you tonight the small things do make a difference. The minuscule, what, what may seem trivial or minuscule or diminutive, they do make a difference. From my understanding... Weather prediction is an extremely difficult problem. Meteorologists can predict the weather for short periods of time, a couple days perhaps at most accurately, but beyond that, predictions are generally poor. Edward Lorenz was a mathematician. He was also a meteorologist at Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and he loved to study amen, and weather. With the introduction of computers back in that day, Lorenz saw the chance to combine mathematics and meteorology together. And so he set out to construct a mathematical model of the weather. And what it was is just a set of differential equations that represented the changes in some of the things concerning weather, temperature, pressure, wind velocity, etc. In the end, Lorenz stripped the weather down to a crude model containing a set of 12 differential equations. On a particular day in the winter of 1961, Lorenz wanted to re-examine a sequence of data coming from his model. And instead of restarting the entire run, he decided to save time to restart the run from somewhere in the middle. And he used the data from the printouts. He had, he had entered the conditions at some point near the middle of the previous run and restarted the model for calculation. And what he found was very unusual and unexpected. The data from the second run should have exactly matched the data from the first run. While at first they did match, they almost looked like an old sine wave. At first they did match, but the results eventually began to diverge from each other and quite dramatically insomuch that the second run lost all resemblance to the first run within a few model months. And at first, Lorenz, he's dealing with a, you know, computers when they first come out. He thought back then they had vacuum tubes and in, in, in computers. And he thought a vacuum tube and went bad in his computer. Amen. But that was not the case. After discovering that there was no malfunction with the computer, Lorenz finally found the source of the problem. To save space, his printouts only showed three digits, Brother Mason. 0.506. While the data in the computer's memory contained six digits, 0.506127. And Lorenz had entered at the middle of this run, he entered in the rounded off number of point, that's, that's a decimal, folks, 506. But Lorenz thought, man, that has, that has to be inconsequential. A, a point zero 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 one two seven is not much of a change. Is not much of a difference. Inconsequential. Small. Minute. But what this happened was led to the idea, even today, that Lorenz found out and realized 
that long-term weather forecasting was an impossibility and doomed because by his simple model, it exhibited what was known. I'll give you the technical term and then I'll give you just the layman's term. It gave a phenomenon that was known as sensitive dependence on initial conditions. And you may have heard the, the layman's term. It's sometimes been called the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is this. That the point zero 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 one two seven represents about the puff or amount of air that would be produced from a flap of a butterfly's wing. Yet that butterfly's wing flapping had the ability, if it flapped in the initial set of conditions for any weather pattern, that it had the ability to create tiny changes in the atmosphere that it may ultimately alter the path per se of a tornado or even delay a tornado or accelerate a tornado or even prevent the occurrence of a tornado in another location. Scientists say that even the flapping of a butterfly in South America could affect the final weather conditions in Central Park, New York. Just a flap of a butterfly wing in the initial set of conditions, if they were going to get a thunderstorm, if a butterfly that did not flap would flap, it could change the whole mechanism of whether or not they would even get a storm in Central Park, New York. Now note, the butterfly does not power or directly create the tornado, but the flap of the wings is a part of the initial conditions. See, they say then there's one set of conditions then that could lead to a tornado, amen. But if a butterfly flaps its wings, it's a small enough change in the initial conditions that it could cause a chain of events, almost like a domino effect, amen. Meaning it could change the trajectory of the path of a storm. It could make it occur faster or not occur at all if there was a butterfly that would just flap. Just flap its wings. I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that what was happening after those 70 years of captivity for a man that felt confused and discombobulated and separated from his people, not never knowing of the temple, but he wanted to do something. Let me tell you, before it's all said and done, just his simple contribution, though it may have seemed inconsequential, insignificant, small, and disregarded by most, it was a part of original set of conditions that was going to change the path of some things in the future. That's the reason why the word of the Lord echoes through the prophet Zechariah and says basically this in the question, don't despise the day of small things. Don't mock the day of small beginnings. Someone say yes. What are you then saying tonight? I'm saying this. Go ahead and teach that Sunday school class. Go on and pray that prayer. Go on and share that testimony. Go on and attend another church service because if you'll just flap your wing in that moment, it may not be immediately perceived, but somewhere in the future, it's going to have some gigantic, large impact. Small things do matter. Warren Wiersbe and I agree with him in the Bible history. The history of the Bible is recorded of God constantly using small things. Exodus 16 and verse 14. 
I still got a lot of preaching to do. Exodus 16 and verse 14. And when the dew that lay, that lay was gone. Behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small, everybody say small. A small round thing. As small, everybody say small. As small as the hoar frost on the ground. This is speaking about the wilderness journey. This is speaking about the means of sustenance and provision for thousands upon thousands of Israelites. And whenever God wanted to sustain them, and whenever God wanted to provide for them, for those thousands upon thousands of people that would go through the wilderness in their journey, he didn't choose something large, but he chose something small. A small round thing, as small as a hoar frost. Have you ever went outside and just looked at the frost, that, those ice crystals that accumulate on the ground? They're not very big. He said that small round thing which we know to be manna was small like a hoar frost. Amen. The Bible says that every individual was together a omer each day. That's 3.64 liters. They had to do a lot of gathering of that small stuff to have provision for one day. But God chose that small round thing to be the very thing that would sustain them. That provide for them. If someone would look at the other and say, what difference would it make if I gather 3.64 liters of this today? It might mean life or death for them. Their life was bound up in a small thing. First Kings 19 verse number 2 the Bible says and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still everybody say small. Small voice. This is Elijah up on the mountain fleeing for his life, having a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty about his ministry, his life, what was happening within Israel. But not in the earthquake, not in the fire, not in the wind, but a small, a small voice spoke to him. Listen to me now. And the instructions that were laced in that small voice changed the ministry of that prophet Elijah. Amen. The impact of that small voice caused his ministry to outlast him by anointing, which the instruction was to anoint Elisha in your room, in your room as being prophet. That was in the small voice that was said. Not only did it cause his ministry to outlast his death, but it also caused him, amen, and, and ordained the slaughter of his number one menace, Jezebel, because that small voice told him, you go and anoint Jehu as king of Israel, and it was Jehu that caused the death of Jezebel, but because of the small voice, his ministry would outlast his death, and he would have victory over his greatest menace because of a small voice. small voice what was that small that small voice was acting as an initial condition that future ministry and future deliverance would be dependent you can't despise that Exodus 30 verse 36 and thou shalt beat some the Bible says and thou shalt beat some of it very small everybody say very small and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. The command is concerning the tabernacle here. He says, I want you to make 
this perfume after the art of the apothecary. These are the ingredients that are to be put into it. But notice the command. I want you to understand this was the command. The command was this. Now you're going to take some of that which you have mixed in the art of the apothecary. All this come together. You're going to take some of that. It's already small in and of itself with the herbs and the different things that are in it. But I want you to beat some of it very small. Brother Wright, and whenever you get it and let it meet the qualification of being very small, then you can take it. Whenever it meets the qualification of being very small, then you can take it and place it before the testimony in the tabernacle, before the Ark of the Covenant, before the presence of the Lord. In other words, it's smallness, or what even some would interpret to be insignificant. Granted a placement before the place where God was to meet with Moses. Its smallness granted it irrevocable access to greatness. In the presence of God. You can't despise that. Psalms 119 and verse 141. The Bible says, I am small and despised. Yet do not I forget thy precepts. Psalms 119, the longest, the longest chapter in the book of Psalms. It, it's what known to be the orphan psalm, meaning that the writer did not incorporate his name in the text. However, most Jewish rabbis agree because some of the psalms, some were Asap, some were the sons of Kor, some were David. But, but, but the Jewish rabbis assert and they agree that this psalm was penned by King David. And so if we hear the voice of King David in this, David is saying, I am small. This was his own estimation of himself and despise. And perhaps that wasn't just a feeling that he had about himself, though that happens to us as well sometimes. But perhaps there were pressures and voices around him that was influencing that decision in his life as well. The psalmist is saying, David is saying, I understand what the prophet Zechariah is saying about the day of small things. Because I had my own ideas of being small. I had my own ideas of confusion and insecurity. Amen. As a matter of fact, presently, I feel a little bit despised myself. I remember being a shepherd boy on the backside of a pasture. And I didn't seem like no real threat to anybody. No threat to my family. No threat to the enemy. And no great, no great force for Israel. Amen. My own family, my own family despised me. My eldest brother, whenever I went to check on the battle with Israel and Goliath, he spoke to me in a condescending manner and even said with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness he spoke down to me and I felt small and I felt insignificant and Eliab thought that David had just come out to the battle on his own to just come see the battle but before it would all be said and done amen he was destined to fight the battle amen and the boy who had been despised on the backside of the pasture by his father and his brothers insignificant and small and young the Bible says he would later get the celebration and the accolades that rose above a king as people would say Saul has slain his thousands but David is ten thousands small things and large things of all the rivers in the world, the Amazon River has the largest volume of water. The Amazon does. This mighty river forms a network of water channels that permeate nearly half, I say half, the continent of South America. 
at its mouth. The Amazon is 90 miles wide. In fact, the fresh water from the Amazon River that is discharged into the Atlantic Ocean, it is so noticeable and so great. It's discharged at that 90-foot wide exit into the Atlantic Ocean that it dilutes the salinity of the ocean of the Atlantic 100 miles offshore. And interestingly, though, this great river begins as millions of seemingly insignificant raindrops that fall into hundreds of tiny streams high in the Peruvian Andy Mountains. Collectively, the tiny threads of water rush down the slopes into streams. Streams merge to form larger and larger tributaries. And finally, secondary rivers flow into the Amazon. But what makes that 90 feet wide at its exit and be able to force a hundred feet offshore diluting the vicinity of the Atlantic Ocean is because every raindrop that falls contributes to the Amazon's greatness. Small things matter. Your ministry matters. Your involvement matters. Your worship matters. Your foundation that you've done that you've never done before and you don't know, have no history concerning it. It matters, it matters, it matters, it matters, it matters. Most people may never know or may not be acquainted with. You read your Bible, you'll come across their names. Their names are Shifra and Pua. How many know Shifra and Pua? It's not like David or Noah or Goliath or anything like that, is it? Shifra and Pua and Pua. Some of you may know them, but I'm expecting most of you probably do not know them. Their names are recorded in Exodus chapter number 1. Their names are recorded during some of the darkest times of Israel's history. These two women were midwives. And to the Hebrew woman, the Bible says, their task decreed by Pharaoh was simply this. As the Hebrew women are delivering their children, if it's a male, kill it. If it's a female, spare it. That was the job of Shifra and Pua, amen, as midwives. But these two names, these unsung heroes, if I may call them tonight, amen, of God, feared God, and they spared all the babies. What happened? At the moment of the initial circumstances of the decree, two women flapped their wings. And that wing flap of sparing all the children would come about a sparing of a baby boy by the name of Moses that was born to a mother of Jacobed that would endure 40 years, amen, in the palace of Pharaoh that would endure and suffer 40 years of detachment on the backside of the desert only to arrive back in Egypt and say, Pharaoh, let God's people go. How did that happen? Somebody flapped their wings. It seemed small, inconsequential at the moment, but the result, we're large you don't know them most of you didn't know their names well, that's insignificant who are they Shiffer and Pooh who are you talking about brother McGee you reading out the same King James Version Bible I'm reading out of yes I am they're insignificant. They're overlooked. They're unsung heroes. But it's someone that flapped the wing. Honey, you may never be recognized and people might not know your name. But if you'll flap your wing tonight in the spirit, there can be some things attributed to you and associated to you because you were a part of the initial conditions of something happening around here. 
butterfly's wings couldn't power it. It couldn't directly create it. And neither could Zerubbabel's. But the Spirit of the Lord came through him, came to him through the prophet Zechariah. And he spoke very plainly to him in verse, verse number six, I believe it is, or rather, yes, six. And he said, Not by might. Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power. He says, But my, by my spirit. It's going to happen by my spirit and your involvement. You're not going to create this. It's not going to be something you do. But your involvement and my spirit. Somebody hear me right now. We're, we're, not, we're not lack on his spirit. We're not deficient on his spirit. So I'm just asking somebody to join up with his spirit and let your involvement be contributed and it's going to cause a flap, a little puff of air that can set off something, keep something back, alter something. Small things, large things. History tells us, scripture tells us concerning Zerubbabel that the foundation was quickly, quickly laid. It took him about two years to lay the foundation. But again, those who gathered to dedicate it had mixed feelings. Some rejoiced, others wept. The Bible even says in the closure of Ezra 3 that you could not discern the noise of the two, of what was weeping and what was rejoicing. And that renders confusion. And I believe that was nothing more, but Zerubbabel said, I entered into this feeling just like this. There's no discernment of, of the noise. It seems somewhat confusing. This is the way that I felt I've been born into, into confusion. And right now it isn't seeming any more clear than what it was whenever I first arrived back here at Jerusalem. He probably thought, Bishop, he probably had a real sense of a burden there that he probably thought, man... I've pathetically attempted to rebuild a temple here with small resources to build up a humble house that might represent some vanished glory of some time past of Solomon's temple. There was political problems that happened in the area. There were mockers and there were people that were adversaries and enemies in so much that the construction of the temple didn't go beyond the laying of the foundation. After those two years, it was halted. The enemies mocked. The supporters that had been supporting Zerubbabel had become discouraged. And for about 16 years, folks, 16 years, that site where there was just a foundation laid there and stood abandoned, and it was silent. There was no sound of a chisel and a hammer. There was no work. There was nothing going on. And during all that time, that hole that they had put in the ground and that foundation that had been laid there and dug and just a few courses of stone stand, stood there as a testament to the foundation. It was a sad reminder, amen, to the feeble band, to the feeble people that now just sets there seemingly like a failure of all their hopes and dreams. It was just lying there for 16 years as a monument almost to failure. Because it was just small. It was insignificant. And if you could just bear in mind the humiliation of Zerubbabel. The humiliation, the discouragement that he felt for those 16 long years. That he contended with. 
spent two years doing this and now this is, this is as far as it goes. I've, I've fallen short of the go. I've fallen short of what I intended to do. I'm sure everybody was saying it was small and he was thinking, I'll tell you what it has been though. It's just been a big waste of time and of energy and of resources. But in Zerubbabel, through virtue of Zechariah the prophet, the Spirit breathes a fresh breath of air under the wings of Zerubbabel. There may have been both weeping and rejoicing. The Spirit of the Lord tells him in Zechariah here, speaking to Zerubbabel. There may have been weeping and rejoicing at your small beginnings, Zerubbabel. But notice what he says in verse 7. He says, Zerubbabel, you shall bring forth the headstone. What's the headstone? It's the last final stone put in the total completion of the building. He says, they might have been weeping and there was shouting when you started this thing. He said, but whenever, and you will, Zerubbabel, whenever you finish it, there's not going to be anything but shouting. There might have been some mixed muddled feelings of confusion in the beginning and despise that and that small. He said, but whenever this thing's complete, he said, there's going to be shoutings. He says, Zerubbabel in verse number nine, he said, you laid the foundation. Notice the encouragement of the spirit of the Lord. You laid the foundation. I know it's been dormant for 16 years. You laid the foundation and you're going to finish it. Why? Because 18 years ago, you flapped your wings. Somebody hear me right there. And whenever that spirit breathed upon Zerubbabel, there was a new zeal. There was a new tenacity that came upon him. And the Bible said that he restarted the work. And you know what the scripture says? Within only four years, it took him two years to get the foundation laid. But it only took four years after that fresh breath of air came upon him that he finished the temple. How in the world could it be finished in just four years? Because somewhere in the initial conditions, Zerubbabel flashed his wing and for a couple years built a foundation my God and whenever the time came that he had new zeal and energy he was able to finish it in just four years that was small then but it became quite large now Look at verse 10. Can we put verse 10, Zechariah 4 and verse 10? And I'm coming to a close. And whenever I say coming, that's a process. The Bible says in verse number 10, for who hath despised the day of small things? That's the question. More importantly, this is a question from the Lord through the prophet Zechariah to Zerubbabel. God's asking the question. Who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet or the little plumb ball, that vertical line for construction that they use in olden times. That bulb just, just went down from the start of it to the finish of it. He says that they shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. We know in seven, seven's perfection, seven's completion, seven's mature, full attention. <clears throat> they are the eyes of the Lord, which to and fro over the whole earth. The Bible says, he says, who does despise the day of small things? He says, they shall rejoice. Who are they? Is it all those that cried before? Is it the people that's witnessing all this? Who, 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 who despise the day of small things? God's saying. He said, they shall rejoice. Is it all these people? No. The scripture itself tells us who they are. Go a little further down. They are the eyes of the Lord. 
God says, Zerubbabel, when you were laying the foundation, when you were doing what was seemingly inconsequential and small and minuscule, he says, heaven was rejoicing. When you got involved and there were scoffers about what you were doing, people crying over the deficiency of what you were involved in, he said, that's not what heaven was saying. He said, while you heard the voices of all the criers and all the disappointers and all the mockers and all those that were holding what you were doing in contempt and even yourself had this grand insecurity, he said, heaven was rejoicing. He says, he's rejoicing. He said, because I seen the plummet. I seen the plumb bulb in somebody's hand. And whenever I seen that in somebody's hand, that meant there was some construction about ready to happen. That meant something was about ready to be devised and designed and built up and something was going to take place. And I want you to know the seven, what it's talking about. The Bible speaks in different, different places, the seven eyes of the Lord. Talk, and what that means is this, that you had our full attention. Seven is completion, full. God says whenever you started with the small stuff, you had heaven's full attention and we were rejoicing over what you were involved in. We didn't see it as small. We didn't see it as inconsequential. We didn't see it as insignificant. We didn't see it as minute. Amen, we seen it. We rejoiced over it and you had our full attention. I'm trying to tell somebody tonight, you need to start stepping out and do whatever it is God wants you to do. You need to involve yourself. You need to go the extra mile. Amen, whatever you gotta go the extra mile. Who cares what the insecurities and infusions that you might have in your own brain and in your own family and what the scoffers and all those men pleasers are saying about what you're endeavoring to do. Who cares? Whenever you start, you got heaven's attention, full attention, and heaven's rejoicing. Stand with me. I seriously, how close? Nothing bears this further out than the history and the results of what takes place in New Testament Scripture as a result of something that happened in Old Testament Scripture. I close. Brother Mason, you can come. Because the temple during Jesus' time was Herod's temple. Herod's temple was nothing more, listen to me, was nothing more and essentially the continuation, listen to me, of Zerubbabel's temple. Brother Wright, in other words, the temple, that small beginning, that despised spot that Zerubbabel was working on would become the place where baby boy would be presented with some turtle doves by mother and father Mary and Joseph. And his name would be called Jesus. It would be the place where a 12-year-old boy would ask questions of the doctors and lawyers and even respond back to them and even begin to reveal some of the things that were hidden from the very foundation of the world. It would be the place where lepers would be cleansed. It would be the place where blind men were given their sight again. It would be the place where there was nothing but commerce going on, but Jesus said, no, this is to be the house of prayer. This is going to be the place of worship. What is that place? It's the place that was in existence because eons of time before, a man that had never known Jerusalem stood foot there 
and was sown in Babylon came and said this is a sacred place this is a holy place and I'm going to see what I can do to be involved in it and he flapped his wings and that wing flap, flap lasted through generations through generations all the way to the time of Jesus that the flap of a wing provided a place where that boy would be dedicated where miracles and signs would happen and where the discussion of questions and some of the things hidden from the foundation of the world would be revealed. It all flowed, if you will, from just a meager, small beginning. It was just a small portion of an initial condition. The results of what happened in the New Testament there, folks, that's nothing to despise. That's nothing, Sister Margaret, to discard what happened in that temple. It's nothing to weep over. That was no small thing. If we can just bow our heads in this place. Man, that was no small thing there. But we got to somehow connect it right, folks. That's no small thing. What Jesus did in that temple and what all took place. That's right. But it was there because of initial condition way back here. That's no small thing there because in reality back at the place of origin what was being done in those two years in the hands of Zerubbabel that wasn't a small thing either God seen it now and then and rejoices just as much oh if I could say it tonight God rejoiced just as much over the beginning of the foundation being laid as he did over the works that his only begotten son did in that finished building and in that finished place I'm telling somebody in this congregation, keep the plummet in your hand. Keep that line in your hand that's, that's designating construction. I know sometimes it may be and feel very confusing and feel despised. Amen. And it doesn't seem to make much sense. But folks, whenever all the voices around you are saying nay, 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 heaven is saying yay, yay, yay. And you got his full attention. These altars are open tonight if someone would just... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.